The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 81 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus, along with my co-host, the chief security officer of BitGo, Tom Paisler. Tom, how goes it today? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed on this show are my own and not that my present or past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So before I get started, I want to remind our listeners, you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. So I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday weekend and we got some time to spend with your families and your friends and you had nice meals. I mean, the spring weather is here. Baseball is here. I'm hearing the sound of the ball hitting the baseball bat and listening to the kids yelling and cheering and everything, and it's just wonderful. It's one of my favorite times of the years. I didn't get, get catch a Yankee game yet in person, but, um, you know, I can't wait to, to uh, go with the kids and then bring them to the stadium. So I'm feeling very blessed. It's uh, definitely one of my favorite times of the year. And uh, we had a great show last week with Robert Vessio, the Chief Analytics Officer of Secure Systems Innovation Corporation. He came in, we talked about the economics of measuring and mitigating cyber risk, which I think is a really uh, important topic. It's a very relative topic, and it's something that's discussed all the time, and we don't have a lot of agreement on this subject, and that's why it's it's a great uh, conversational piece. So I think we had a great discussion with Bob about what he views are the biggest gaps in cyber risk management today, and, you know, uh, what he thinks boards want to know about cyber risk. You know, how the, the CISOs need to change the way they think about cyber risk management for us to actually be able to get to where we, we want to be. And I think there's, like I said, there's some disagreement that we need to go in that direction or even are, are, are capable of doing that. So Bob really came on. He talked about the importance of putting a cost to a specific cyber incident. And I've had this debate many times with a lot of different people. And I think that you can do that. I think it's possible. And I think sometimes when you get into these debates and you're in a room full of uh, uh cybersecurity professionals who have different backgrounds and different experiences and even different roles in an organization, you might find that the engineers and, and the technologists in the room will naysay the, the, your ability to actually put a price and a cost to a particular cybersecurity incident when you have sort of the line of business guys who are maybe the CISOs of a sector or a line of business or even a region for, for a business say, hey, look, you know, I, I think it's possible because they can compare uh, incidents to previous incidents, only in, not only in their firm, but in other firms too. And so 
we did. We got into a great discussion about how to overcome the perception that there isn't enough data available to exec for executives to understand the economics of cyber risk. And we talked about transformation and what needs to go on there. And we also talked about some very specific models and value proposition of his patented proprietary tool, X Analytics, which I found you know, quite fascinating. So, uh, you know, executives are using this tool to size and scope risk in many different ways that I don't think would have ever been thought of before. And I think it's, uh, it's very innovative, right? So um, I, I thought it was a great show. It was all this, and we talked about much, much more. That special guest, Robert Vessio, the Chief Analytics Officer of the Secure Systems Innovation Corporation. On last week's episode, that's episode number 80 of Task Force 7 Radio. So, if you're listening to us live right now on Voice America, or maybe someone just sent you a link to this episode, you might be wondering how you can listen to all the previous Task Force 7 Radio episodes on playback. Just go to our new TF7 Radio site at www.tf7radio.com and hit the episode tab at the top of the homepage, and then you can find all the TF7 Radio episodes right at your fingertips. It's really that easy. You can also search our guest library which is a very impressive list of some of our most prolific cybersecurity professionals. So we're going to continue uh, that tradition tonight, and I'll get to that in a minute. But we have our, our news section, of course. You can check out some of the latest cybersecurity news, and you can write comments and talk about some of the topics we had on the show. So it's a great way to connect to the TF7 family. We're on 11, 11 different playback mediums now. We're really everywhere, folks. I mean, I know people have their certain preferences of which, which medium they like to listen to. So it's great that we have a, a variety of different mediums that you could you know, subscribe to. Uh, the best way to do it is just go to the Task Force 7, or the TF7, I should say, TF7radio.com website. It used to be TaskForce7.com, uh, radio.com. Now it's TF7radio.com. We shortened it for you to make it a little bit easier. And uh, you hit the subscribe button right on the top of the uh, right of the homepage, and it'll take you right there, and you can subscribe right to the show. You get all the Encore episodes and notifications about them, the TF7 extras, and all the Task Force 7 news and events. So check us out, folks www.tf7radio.com to hear any of our episodes at your convenience, 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And as always, whatever you do, don't forget to subscribe. We love it when you subscribe. So we got another great guest for you on the show this evening. We're going to have my friend Ed Sim on the show with us. Ed is the founder and managing partner of Bold Start Ventures. It's a New York City-based first check investor for bold founders, reinventing the enterprise stack. So Bold Start is a lead investor and partners with Fortune 500 CIOs, CTOs. They really just work with the C-suite to accelerate their time-to-market strategies. And he loves to work with engineering-driven dr uh, founders with a laser-sharp focus on product. Uh, so he's very focused on, on, on the product itself and the product development. And... He's enduring, has some enduring themes and investment focus that include cloud-native infrastructure, cybersecurity, of course, uh, intelligent automation, and SaaS products. And he's also the co-founder of uh, MState. It's an enterprise blockchain studio in partnership with IBM and Comcast Ventures. So over the last 22 years, Ed has seeded and helped scale a number of enterprise startups to exit include big data pioneer Greenplum, LivePerson, Go to meeting with Citrix. We've got Divide here with Google. Go Instant with Salesforce and, and Blaze. So, look, this is a very impressive list, I must say. And, uh, you know, his current, his, uh, current security investments include Security Scorecard, Hyper, Big ID, and Small Step, and a bunch of others. He's currently a director and observer of Big ID, uh, Customer Fortress IQ, 
Piper and Manifold, and he previously co-founded Dawn Trender Ventures, and then he's an active blogger since 2003 on beyondvc.com. So I'm very happy to have him on the show with us this evening. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Ed Sim. Ed, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Hey, George, thanks for having me. I'm a, I'm a huge fan and a subscriber, so uh, excited to be on your show. It's awesome, awesome. We're excited to have you here because you bring a, a, an experience and a different perspective uh, that we haven't had on in a while. And so this kind of expertise, I think, is really interesting to our listeners. So look, let's just, let's just level set here. Let's start off with Bold Start Ventures. Just tell me a little bit about Bold Start and what you do there. What's that all about? Sure, yeah, I, I think you gave a great uh, summary earlier, but what we really are essentially about is being that first check for highly technical enterprise founders. We like to say that we help breathe life in the business. We love to meet founders before they even start their companies as they're thinking about what the next opportunity may be. And uh, what the market is lacking in the venture capital space are investors with courage and conviction who will invest in people you know, attacking interesting markets without kind of a product. So, you know, you can say that 90% of our investments are, are traditionally pre-product and based on uh, the founders uh, and the markets they're going after. Right, right. So I've mentioned first check in, in the opening here. And what, what does first check mean? And I'm not sure a lot of people are familiar with, you know, what exactly you mean by first check. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I, we brought that up because there's a lot of confusion in the market. Traditionally, first check used to be seed. You know, now there's a new category called pre-seed. There's another category called post-seed. And what we like to say is that we're the first check-in. We um, either, you know, if you're two young founders and you're attacking a new market and you only need $500,000, we can kind of be there for you and lead that round and price it. Uh, and if you're a more experienced founder and let's say you've had prior exits before and you're raising two and a half to three million, we can do that as well. So we like to say that we, we cross uh, the gamut from pre-seed, seed, and post-seed, so we just call it first check to eliminate all that confusion in the market. So how's, it, how's that really working for you, this strategy and philosophy with the companies that you invested in so far, and how's it, how does it apply to your investment strategy really uh, for long-term? Yeah, I mean, I think it's super important because um, there are very few investors who will lead uh, investments at this stage. And uh, so I think from a uh, demand and supply perspective, uh, it, it favors us in terms of opportunities, right, to, to invest in amazing founders. I think from a security perspective, um, you really have to start asking yourselves, where do you think the market's going to be? And, you know, we have uh, our own focus on how we think about security. You know, I made my first security investment, believe it or not. I signed a term sheet on September 13th, 2001 and, uh, in a company called Net Forensics. Not sure if you ever remember that company, but that was one of the first SIM vendors out there. Um, and so, you know, our approach to security uh, from the Bold Start perspective has been to focus on new attack vectors, new problems, you know, versus kind of reimagining existing ones like endpoint security. Uh, there's been some great investments, you know, obviously in the endpoint security space, but we've had much more luck and success doing first check investing, looking at new attack vectors. Um, and part of it is, is that there may not be a line item on, this, on the C-suite budget, on the CISO budget. Uh, it's usually discretionary spending in the first couple of years. Uh, but the trick is, if you can figure out um, um, how that can become a line, line item in a couple of years, it could be a massive opportunity. And we can talk about some of the companies we invested in, whether it's Security Scorecard or Big ID or, or Sneak. But um, I think those would be great examples of how we've 
how we've been successful uh, taking that approach. So do you look at just security uh, investments or do you look at just or are there general technology investments as well? We are a 100% enterprise. We mostly invest in infrastructure, right? So we've got a few enduring themes like um, the rise of the developer. Uh, we, we do cybersecurity. That's kind of embedded in, in a lot of the investing that we do. I think we've made five investments in the cyberspace over the last uh, you know, five years. Uh, but, but I'll call it enterprise broadly. So how do you identify pain in an investment or a company? Like how do you, you know, how do you analyze that in the beginning and first check? Yeah, the wonderful thing about being in New York is that we're surrounded by, you know, I'm looking at my window now, it's 65, I think, Fortune 500s. And if you look at the history uh, of the Fortune 500, most people will say today that they're a technology company that happens to be a bank or a technology company that happens to be a retail company. Fundamentally, every Fortune 500, if they still want to be in the Fortune 500 or the S&P 500 in 10 years, has to have technology. They're spending more and more on engineering, and the velocity of change uh, has increased exponentially. So when we identify pain, we like to work with a number of these C-suite um, executives who have budget. So we have a number of advisors uh, who are affiliated with Boltstar, who manage you know billions of dollars of IT spend, and we get a, uh, a view on kind of what their big problems are and what areas they're willing to work with startups and other areas where they're not willing to work with startups. And by identifying those pain points, we're able then to meet, you know, highly technical founders uh, who are building interesting solutions who may not necessarily have the target category selected. But if you can match that pain with what they're building, then I think there's interesting opportunities that can be created. And that, that's kind of how we, how we look at the world. I think what's really, really important, though, is that, you know, you take the Henry Ford quote. Henry Ford once said that, if I ask my customers what they wanted, they want a faster horse. So as we're, you know, listening to the pain <laughs> from all these C-suite executives, it's not just like, hey, um, you know, let's find the next thing that's incrementally better. You know, we need to find something different. Uh, we need to, you know, find the car. We need to find the, the flying car. That's what we get paid for. And that's what, you know, gets our later stage investors who we partner with, like Sequoia and Excel and Lightspeed, excited about our companies. Um, they want to find, you know, game-breaking technology. They want to find companies that can have a big technical moat. Uh, and they're not just looking for incremental improvements. Right. So, you know, peeking around the corners, as you would say, what are some of the areas that you're really excited about moving into the future? I got to tell you, one of the biggest areas I'm excited about is the power and rise of the developer. Um, if you think about the world today, uh, going back to my earlier point, these Fortune 500s cannot be software or technology companies without hiring engineers. Uh, and everyone is moving to the cloud today to increase their agility and their ability to uh, rapidly deploy new applications. And uh, engineers now are more and more responsible for not only coding, but also uh, pushing uh, multiple updates per day uh, into production. And what happens in that assembly line process with that speed is that security gets lost. And so one of the areas we're super excited about is, um, you know, how do you help developers uh, increase their security or better their security without kind of obstructing their ability to get things done quickly. And um, there's tons of opportunities around that space. You know, so Sneak, S-N-Y-K.io, uh, founded by the former CTO of Akamai, is one of those companies, you know, addressing that pain. Um, another huge pain point in our minds is privacy. Privacy, PII, GDPR, CCPA, Alphabet Soup, 
it's absolutely everywhere. Um, if you look at what uh, Jamie Dimon, who's the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, just recently said in his annual report, um, he basically said that the threat of cybersecurity may well may very well be the biggest threat to the U.S. financial system, um, and that they spend over six hundred million dollars a year, you know, on these efforts with three thousand employees, and that privacy is is, is adjacent to that uh, and just as big a threat. So, big ID. Uh, is one of the companies that I'm on the board of and an investor in as well. And they help uh, companies find all their PII, uh, manage their PII, um, and, and secure it. So uh, that's another area I'm excited about. I'll tell you, Ed, I, I mean, I can't believe that. Like, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. I, I think you're absolutely right. We have this rush for developers to go fast, push product out, push it out, you know, in the cloud. Um, and security is taking a back seat. I think you're absolutely right there. And honestly, privacy, there's just so many different privacy rules out there, GDPR, all these things. And it's like, what data do you collect? But then every piece of data you hold, you know, opens you to liability in another area. Like, how do you do this? I mean, I think you're spot on on the two areas are the biggest pain points for all of us. This is awesome. How, how competitive do you think the development, uh, developer market is? Because when I talk to developers, I get the feeling like they, they you know, they, they have very, a lot of leverage in conversations with either potential employers or partners uh, in terms of, you know, their ability to make things happen. And uh, obviously you need them to build things, but how competitive is it? And how is there, is there a talent shortage in, in that specific space? Do you think? There's a massive talent shortage in that mm -hmm. space. And if you think about it, and this is why I'm excited being a, a super early investor 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when I sat down with the C-suite, they used to say, if you're not Cisco or IBM or Microsoft, um, uh, then, you know, don't come here. You know, so the whole theory was one throat to choke. And today, given the, the rapid uh, change and the rapid speed of change, and the fact that if you think about it, the best engineers are not going to go work at a bank. They're going to work at Google or, or, or Facebook or some other kind of web scale company, or they're going to start their own company because it's easier than ever to start their company. And so in order for these large Fortune 500s to actually bring innovation in, they need to work with earlier stage startups. And we are seeing the benefits of that across the board over the last five years. And so the point is, is that they have to find new ways to bring in companies earlier, you know, versus the traditional way. I mean, I think about eight years ago or 10 years ago, the definition of a startup was a company doing $50 million of revenue, you know, that was almost break even and uh, that had been public yet. So just because it was private as a startup. Now I'm looking across the board at the portfolio with the rise of open source, with developers downloading tools and actually using it and kind of proliferating inside of an enterprise, um, they're willing to work with uh, companies much earlier because they can test the product and they can play with the product and see what's I, there. I think you're right to it. Like what I've seen too with developers is not only do you not want to work at the traditional banks, you want to do something that's innovative, but you also, if you get into a company that has too many rules, too many guardrails in place and slows you down and makes it so the builds are just too slow, um, you can't be innovative, you, you, you can lose a developer. So it's a fine balance because you got to figure out, you know, how do we empower them, let them do uh, what they want to do and be innovative, but also, you know, mix in security in there um, from the get-go without making it something that pushes them out and, and makes it so they want to leave because it is it is frustrating if you come in and you're like, look, I want to innovate, I want to do new things, but there's just too many controls in place, things are too slow, uh, I can't get the resource, you know, it takes too long to, to basically push something out, the release process is too long, the systems aren't set up for me, I mean, those kind of things, um, I, we're seeing that as well, so I think this is awesome work that you're on. Uh, 
Thank you. No, I think it's huge because, you know, I, I think it goes back to the whole idea of, of security shifting left. Yeah, you know, kind of like in the, uh, the assembly line process. If you can pick a defect earlier in the assembly line, then it saves you tons of costs uh, in the long run. And so the idea is if developers can actually have security without thinking about it and it doesn't slow them down, yeah. then, uh, then it saves a ton of time, a ton of costs, and a ton of uh, you know, problems. I mean, if you look at Sneak, for example, I'll just, just to dive in, yeah. um, they actually uh, started about four years ago and people said, hey, don't we have Black Duck? Because the idea for Sneak was that um, open source was becoming more and more prevalent and that uh, on top of that, most people were using third-party components and packages. And the question was, is how do you uh, understand the vulnerabilities associated with those third-party components and packages? How do you look at the interdependencies inter uh, between those packages? And how do you do it so easily that developers can just not even think about it? And so that was the kind of idea and started with the integration in GitHub and now into all these different um, uh, repos. And fast forward to today, they've expanded into serverless security, they've expanded into uh, doing uh, containers, uh, looking at the images beforehand. And so they've gone from open source to actually looking at kind of the whole developer experience. But the key, as, as you said earlier, Tom, was that we made it so easy for them. And so they're doing about 600,000 downloads a month or more and growing. And a lot of the large, largest enterprises in the world are using them all from a bottom-up kind of driven perspective. That's all. Is it Sneak? I should look into that. I haven't heard of them. That would be awesome. The other thing I, I've been really following, I think that Google's been doing pretty right, is uh, the whole Kubernetes uh, you know, cluster that they put together. I think that's just awesome. I mean, the whole idea of basically you, know, you, you build the Kubernetes cluster, you can keep the servers that are supporting Kubernetes secure, patched, and everything, but allow basically the developers to do whatever they want. Their imagination has as long as some kind of container supports it. They're, not, they're no longer you know, reliant on the operations team, the infrastructure team to put together the exact, you know, memory, the space that they need. It's, it's basically, here you go, here's your, you know, here's the cluster, go, go play in it. We'll keep it secure on the, on the back end, on the layer below. And, uh, you know, I just think it's pretty awesome that Google at the size of the company is the, the age it is, the stage it is that's still innovating like that and open sourcing it and allowing people to look at that and, and, and integrate it. I think that kind of stuff is pretty awesome. And then, um, letting people build into that, like you said, open source, um, technology out there allows for more innovation of how do you, you know, take this stuff and security even better. It's a really fun, interesting time we're in. Oh, absolutely. And by the way, I wanted to make a one other point is that um, if you look at also kind of what's happening, uh, we're going from, uh, and I keep thinking about the, the Fortune 500, but going from kind of monolithic applications where you kind of update things once every six months, you know, twice a year, to moving towards more of a microservice type environment where uh, you're breaking it up and atomizing it into hundreds of little pieces uh, and they're deploying independent, deploying code independently, you know, hundreds of times a week or thousands of times a week. And so along those lines, we also invested in another um, developer-led security company uh, called SmallStep. Uh, we seeded that company with, with Excel, it's on the West Coast. And what they're doing, and this is kind of a big buzzword these days, but we funded it a, a couple of years ago, they're um, allowing uh, developers to bring zero trust security into their microservices. We call it identity-driven security. So if you think about all these uh, different services communicating back and forth with each other, how do you actually make it very easy for developers to, to incorporate that, to incorporate a, a certificate authority to run TLS and do all those little things so that, um, you know, who is, is talking to, you know, what system is completely locked down in an easy way. So that, that I think is going to be another huge area um, as we have thousands of services kind of talking to each other every day, and how do you make it easy for them to, to authenticate?
This is awesome. I mean, you are literally 100% in the right space. I mean, this is these are the problems that we're all seeing every day, you know, from, like you said, legacy um, uh, banks, you know, to, to innovative small startups, everything. I mean, it's just how do you how do you develop, how do you do, develop quickly and how do you keep your developers uh, excited and, and, and ready to go and, and make sure that you don't, you know, like you said, have a major breach because you're, it's a fine line. Like how do you, how do you make it so they can be innovative and move and, and, and be quick to market, but not, not make some mistake that takes everybody down or, you know, uh, have issues going. Cause uh, again, it's always a race to get product pushed out. Right. Absolutely. All right, guys, lots to talk about here. we got to transition to a commercial break. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. That's right, folks. You can follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the TF7 family on your favorite media platform. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email me directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at TF7, that's with the number 7, radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some problems together, folks. I promise you, Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause for a few minutes, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, the founder and managing partner of Bold Start Ventures, Mr. Ed Sim. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The rules of enterprise security have changed. Your employees work remotely. Their devices access corporate data in the cloud. Phishing and other threats are intensifying. Traditional perimeter-based security is no longer enough to keep your enterprise safe. You need a new approach that protects your organization from the outside in. Lookout Post Perimeter Security enables protection at the endpoint and establishes continuous conditional access to data based on risk so you can protect your mobile workforce against phishing and other new world threats. Now you can secure the post-perimeter world. Visit lookout.com forward slash task force seven to learn more today. Recorded Future helps security teams make more confident decisions faster. Recorded Future's technology automates broad collection and analysis of cyber threat data and delivers the rich external context you need to understand alerts and emerging threats. With real-time threat intelligence from Recorded Future, security teams respond to threats 63% faster and find undetected threats 10 times quicker. Recorded Future integrates with the security products you already use, making the intelligence you need accessible and relevant. Use it to improve your security operations, incident response, vulnerability management, and more. If you're facing challenges like the cybersecurity skill shortage or more alerts than your team can handle, Consider Recorded Future Threat Intelligence. Learn more at recordedfuture.com forward slash task force seven. 
As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the founder and managing partner of Bold Star Adventures, Mr. Ed Sim. So, Ed, I wanted to talk to you about the, a lot of the attacks and especially malware attacks that are just getting more sophisticated as each day passes by. And I wanted to ask you, obviously, you're in the cybersecurity business. You know this, this industry very, very well. You know the intricacies of some of these cybersecurity products that are out there. Are cybersecurity solutions keeping up with the evolving threat that we're seeing or are we just continually falling behind? We're always behind, period. Mm. Um, yeah, we're, we're all, and, and I, I guess the way I think about it is that the most interesting trend these days are these script kiddies uh, and also, also nation states. And um, if you look at the use of artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning, all that stuff, it's easier for them to be on the offensive than it is to be on the defensive because you don't know what you're protecting yourselves against. But if you're in the offensive, you can use all these you know, new technologies, download scripts, and, uh, and wreak havoc. And it's always going to be a game of you know, cat and mouse and a game of catch up. You know, one of the things we talk about is some of these new emerging technologies that are coming out not really being introduced into the marketplace with, with risk in mind. 
And I think a lot of these new emerging technologies introduce risk into companies' environments that they haven't previously thought about. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, if you look at the history of security and technology, anytime there's a new technology where people show up and start using it, there's going to be security issues. Um, and so it's not going to be long before there's going to be security issues kind of in, in Kubernetes pods, right? And there's, there's just going to be so much opportunity and so much of a footprint for uh, hackers to kind of go after. Um, and, you know, the other thing I think you can think about, too, is that, you know, every new technology opens up new holes. Even on the cloud side, just, you know, basic uh, hygiene uh, is not even covered. And when you go to AWS, it's absolutely confusing to have, you know, an environment set up and have your developers kind of on board, especially when you have thousands of developers, when you have uh, uh, developer kind of systems, production systems. And, and you know, you're, you're leaving lots of um, uh, data uh, exposed without changing passwords or, or, or things like that. And you see that every single day. So I think it's, I think it's not only kind of um, that, uh, hackers are more sophisticated, but also there's kind of more footprint for some of these larger companies and it's harder for them to, to keep up themselves. You know, you mentioned the basics and it's, you know, a, a, a breath of fresh air for me. You know, we talk a little bit about this in our last few episodes and how cyber hygiene is just so important. You know, we had, uh, we recently mentioned that there was uh, breaches that have happened and compromises that happened over two years ago that haven't been resolved yet. All right, and and you have you have these basic cyber hygiene incidents uh, that we just can't get our arms around for some reason. Like, it just seems as an industry, you know, they're just not being addressed properly. I mean, what do you, how do you see, you know, the, the the world of cyber hygiene moving forward into the future? Are we going to start doing the basic admin privileges, email privileges, uh, you, you name it? I mean, basic asset inventories. I mean, when is it when is it gonna, when is it going to get corrected? You are hitting the nail on the head because I think about the biggest risk is probably all of you can imagine are people. And right. if, you, if you still look at kind of no, no, no amount of technology is going to prevent kind of uh, uh, phishing, backwire fraud, all that, all that stuff or, or individuals using the same password over and over again. Um, and, you know, having kind of their consumer site hacked and then, you know, having their fortune 500 company hacked. And so I think, I think ultimately there's gotta be better training you know, it's a cultural kind of aspect. And we're seeing more and more tools come out to, you know, let's say train software developers on how to, you know, create secure, uh, secure code. We're seeing more tools come out like on mobile devices, gamification for how to train employees to understand what phishing attacks may look like. But ultimately, I think that's, that's a super, super hard thing to stop. And if you, even if you look at the whole Petia thing, that was kind of uh, that whole virus that was based off of a, um, you know, individual being exploited. Yeah, I think you're actually absolutely right on that with the people. And I, I think uh, security practitioners, our, our job more and more these days is to limit the ability for our the employees to get in trouble, right? I mean, like the banks have taken that approach for a long time. You know that, George, right? I mean, you know, limited amount of cash in the, in the bank, you know, limited access to the vaults, these things that over time criminals know because it, so that you know you can only get so much, you can only do so much things. And we have to start doing that more in security. Like you shouldn't have access to things that you don't need. If you if you want like admin rights, they should only be given on, on limited basis at certain times. Um, to your point, you know, passwords are not good enough. We should be doing 2FA and honestly using things like YubiKeys, you know, the, 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 the not like relying on your text message to your phone that can be easily compromised. Um, I totally agree with you. I think these are other big risks and 
I think the things out there show, you know, something like 5% of uh, phishing emails will be responded to or clicked on. So you send a thousand out. I mean, you're talking massive numbers of people responding, right? It's a numbers game. It's a numbers game, right? Absolutely. And I know that, uh, uh, George, you know about Hyper. That's how we first met. But, you know, if you look at what they do, they're going after uh, passwordless security. And they like to say that uh, they, they remove the threat, meaning that there's no centralized credential store. So password reuse is one of the biggest problems in terms of hacking. Uh, we can go and buy kind of, you know, for five bucks, buy millions of passwords out there and just, you know, run a script and test it across many companies. And uh, Hyper actually decentralizes that approach. They tokenize it and make it really easy for, you know, large enterprises to kind of uh, bring that uh, hygiene in. Uh, so it's simple stuff like that. So what about, what about smaller companies in this business? I mean, are they at a disadvantage to some of the bigger companies out there? I mean, I just, I, you know, we were just talking about the RSA conference and the thousands and thousands of vendors. I think there's like 6,000 uh, new cyber security startups last year. How crazy is that? New, that those new companies. So these, these, my, my head is about to explode. Like when I go to RSA, I never even walk on the show floor. It's all about kind of connecting with friends and networking because ultimately it's super confusing. And are smaller companies, that just, I'd say yes and no. I'd say uh, no because they have a much smaller footprint to be attacked. Uh, and then I'd say yes because, you know, they have no idea how to get started. And they're probably better off with like an MSSP. I feel like MSSPs are coming back. Um, you're looking at MSSPs using kind of AI and ML uh, to kind of uh, move reme- remediation faster and make it much easier. But I, I think these smaller companies need kind of a catch-all uh, one-stop shop to, to solve their problem. And then if you look at the, the big companies, they're just new holes every day. Um, so yeah, I, think it's, I think it's both. So with all this money pouring into the market, and you know, I listen to Mark Cuban talk about this uh, market all the time, and he thinks we're in a bubble. And you know, he's been very open about uh, the cybersecurity space, the amount of money in the new startups, and, 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 you know, and a lot of the duplicate, uh, duplicative technologies that are out there. Do you think we're in a bubble? You know, if you look at just the amount of money invested and kind of the amount of exits, then the answer is absolutely yes. Um, and, and I'm saying that because, I mean, if you look at it, the estimates are 4 to $5 billion were invested in cybersecurity companies last year. And it was like up from, you know, three to four the year before. Um, and there's still kind of only a handful of new public companies out there, right? You have Carbon Black, you have Zscaler, you have Tenable, and some other, other ones that went public, which means they could be new acquirers. But um, at the end of the day, I think there are way too many startups out there and many of them will die. You know, I think, I think the key is as an investor or even as a, um, as a buyer, and I would love to hear your perspective, Tom, is that you know, we always like to ask the question, is this a feature? Is this a product or is this going to be a business? And you need to have founders that are smart enough to, to maybe start with a feature, but know that out of the box, eventually they'll get to it to have a product and then eventually they'll have a family of products. And if, if you're a really good founder and you're able to navigate kind of the, those, um, that path, then I think there's a massive opportunity for you. If you're not, you're either going to go out of business or just get rolled up for, you know, peanuts by some of the other companies. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. I'm, uh, and, and I have the same perspective. I, I'm also an investor. We have a, a small VC. We do seed rounds as well. I, I guess first check is what we do as well. And exactly to your point, um, you know, looking to see like exactly what's the path. I, I want to know before I go in there, like, what are you trying to do? What, what Do you have something that no one else is doing? Another thing that I've been looking at a lot from both an investment perspective and, and as a practitioner in security is uh, open source lately because I'm finding that 
the world is changing where we want more and more open source. And the reason why is we don't want to rely on this black box to do this black magic for us. And if there's an issue, we don't want to wait for them to fix it. We want to be able to go look at the code ourselves, know what it's doing and fix it ourselves. Uh, so I'm actually starting to look more and more at companies like that saying, okay, what is your path? And are you offering something that is more open source? And, and we're starting to see more success with open source. You know, I mean, MongoDB and other things, you know, there is a path. Um, Docker, I think still having some issues there, but I'm sure they'll find their traction. It's like, you know, you build a good product, you get a lot of users and then you offer services around it. And I do think that we're becoming more of a service uh, oriented world anyway. So uh, I do think that that's the kind of stuff that I look at. Um, just, I think that's the trend, the area we're heading. And you know, correct me if I'm wrong or if you see it different, but that's what I kind of see. I, I agree with you 1000%. I mean, I wrote a blog post at the beginning of the year about kind of our outlook on the enterprise. And we just said the, the script for selling into the enterprise has, has been reversed. Instead of going top down, I mean, you know, you talk to uh, the C-suite, they're like, look, my emails are jammed with thousands of marketing messages. I can't tell one vendor from the other. My voicemail is packed with, with salespeople trying to call me. If I actually paid any attention to them, I'd have no time to do my job. And so, you know, word of mouth, uh, talking to the developers uh, and seeing what they're using are kind of the, the biggest ways to kind of get into these large organizations. And when you have guys like you saying that, that we want to find kind of open source, we want to find developer-led opportunities because we want to be able to check into the code. That, in our minds, is one of the most massive opportunities is reversing kind of that go-to-market motion and going bottom-up and making it easier for people to use and explore kind of your product. And honestly, at BitGo here, this is the first company I've been at where it's pretty much almost all open source. Uh, we're, 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 most of our developers are either running Linux. I mean, we do have some Mac builds and stuff like that. You know, obviously, no Windows systems. All of our security products, our monitoring stuff is mostly all open source. Um, and it works really well. I mean, um, you know, had you asked me if I thought this would ever be the case, you know, 10 years ago, absolutely not. I would have never, ever envisioned this is the way things would be running. But I'll tell you, it's great. I mean, we, we know kind of everything that's going on. Uh, we understand our products much better than um, we, you know, we would any other way. And uh, we're able to basically build anything and move around because we know that we can carry the stack anywhere. So we find things that can move from you know, one area to another. It also makes us not dependent on one cloud provider. We're not dependent on other things. So I, I just think this is kind of the way of, of the future, um, both from a security and a developer perspective, because you've got to be able to move into the area that makes the most sense, for either from a security or a development perspective in the future. Absolutely. So if, if we have um, a big discrepancy between the amount of money that's actually coming into the industry compared to the, you know, the ratio of the amount of exits, the sexual exits that are, exits that are happening, I mean, do you think that we're going to continue to see this sharp uh, increase in spend in the cybersecurity space over the next few years that we've had in, over the last few years? Absolutely. I mean, when CEOs <laughs> like James, when Jamie Dimon say right. that you know, the threat is cyber, maybe the, the biggest threat to the U.S. financial system, then the answer is yes. And then also you have guys like Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett in his annual report just said that he believes a major c catastrophe will happen um, maybe tomorrow or many decades from now, but the big one, you know, may come from a cyber attack. And so, you know, that the whole idea of uh, security always being one step behind the hackers, and now you have a new category of nation states kind of coming in and doing what they're doing. So, so the amount of money will continue to increase. Um, and, and so, yes, there will be opportunity, but I think execution and management team and, and, and understanding how to build a business, not just a product, I think becomes absolutely crucial 
for um, for you know engineers to to navigate kind of this new world. Right. Hey, so George, going to take a short break. Wait, George, George, before we go for a break, can I jump in on one thing go on ahead, that? Jump I'm in sorry. real quick. Go ahead. I think, and this is, I'm going to actually talk about you a little bit, George. I think one of the things right now we're talking about is this, this awareness of this, this ever-changing. I think the things that you're doing here at Task Force 7 Radio are really important right now because you're getting the message out. We're getting the experts together, and we're, we're seeing and we're letting people understand, like, this is important. This is an attack that can happen. This is something that can cripple our nation, can cripple the world. And this is why this stuff is important. And it's great because the audience that's listening right now is hearing the people who are on the ground working it. They're hearing the people who are investing in the companies that can make the difference. They're hearing from the people who actually are dealing with these real world problems. So, you know, kudos to you, George, for running this thing because I think this is really, really, really important. And this segment right now is showing that. Hey, man, I really appreciate that. That was certainly worth waiting for before we go to break. <laughs> <laughs> I can interrupt when I say that stuff, huh? <laughs> I say the same wholeheartedly but let's let's hit the break we can talk more about it all right all right guys we gotta take a short break to hear from our sponsors but don't go away we'll be right back with more from our special guest the founder and managing partner of bold start ventures mr ed sim you're listening to task force 7 radio the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Recorded Future helps security teams make more confident decisions faster. Recorded Future's technology automates broad collection and analysis of cyber threat data and delivers the rich external context you need to understand alerts and emerging threats. With real-time threat intelligence from Recorded Future, security teams respond to threats 63% faster and find undetected threats 10 times quicker. Recorded Future integrates with the security products you already use, making the intelligence you need accessible and relevant. Use it to improve your security operations, incident response, vulnerability management, and more. If you're facing challenges like the cybersecurity skill shortage or more alerts than your team can handle, Consider Recorded Future Threat Intelligence. Learn more at recordedfuture.com forward slash task force seven. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Synet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Synet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Synet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure security-innovation.org or Google Sinet S-I-N-E-T. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. 
Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover life cycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the founder and managing partner of Bold Start Ventures, Mr. Ed Sim. So, Ed, I want to talk a little bit about some of the companies that Bold Start has invested in and, and how those investments came about. Because I think a lot of people, they, they're very curious to understand, you know, how you meet these people, how it works, what the conversations start like, and what kind of, you know, investments are really interesting to you. And I think we, we kind of got what areas that you like to delve into. Let's start with Big ID. You were saying something about it before. Tell us a little bit about how your involvement with that company came about. Absolutely. So I met uh, one of the co-founders, Dimitri, uh, through a mutual friend. Dimitri had just sold his company to CA, Layer 7 Security, which was an API security company. And he'd been there for a couple of years looking for his next thing. And uh, he moved from Vancouver to New York. So uh, Dimitri and Nimrod, his co-founder, who actually ran a product for the identity group at CA, showed up one day and started talking about privacy. And this was like four years ago and, and about four or five months before GDPR was even passed. And uh, that's when we started our conversations. And they had this, this huge vision that they were going to be the platform to uh, help find all the PII, identify the PII, and then also use mach- machine learning and, and identity intelligence technology to, to, to organize it all under a unique ID. And fast forward, you know, four months later, GDPR passed. And, uh, and then last year at RSA, they won Innovation Sandbox. So, you know, that, that to me is, is kind of uh, exciting because they're still, you know, thinking about their idea. We, we got to spend three or four months with them before they actually left and launched their company. Um, and we're super excited for them to kind of be one of the leaders in the space now, or, or we like to say the leader in a new category. So how about, is it Snike? How do you pronounce yeah. it? We, we call it uh, Sneak, S-N-Y-K. Sneak. So it, it stands for So Now You Know. Yeah, so... Um, we met uh, a guy, Pajarni, that founder, because we had backed him pre- previously in Fund One. So we, we were one of the seed investors in a company called Blaze, which sold to Akamai. And uh, he became one of the two CTOs at Akamai. So uh-huh. we stayed in touch with him over about you know, three, four years. And uh, you know, every three months, we'd be like, hey, you know, um, can you help us vet this security company? Uh, by the way, the, the interesting story is that he helped us with diligence on the seed round of security scorecard. So he ended up personally investing in that company with us, uh, in, in Alex's company. And uh, eventually he came out with his vision for uh, open source and developer-led security. So we were, we were right there for him on the first check. 
Um, he had actually had a previous background before, uh, having been chief architect at Watchfire Security, helping build one of the first web app firewalls. So, so that's how we got to know him because because we had backed him previously uh, and got to spend you know uh, many years with him uh, and and understanding kind of how he was thinking and how he likes to build businesses. How about uh, Security Scorecard? Everybody knows Security Scorecard. Obviously, I think they do. A very popular company, Alexander over there, and the guys running the show. Great company. You must be happy with the way they're maturing. How'd that all come about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we actually met uh, Alex and Sam uh, through a, a, another founder that we had passed on. <laughs> and, and this was a founder in another enterprise space. And he said, hey, guys, um, really enjoyed the process we went through and understand why you passed. But however... Um, you know, I'm going through a security audit and there's this great company security scorecard that I've been chatting with that you should meet. And that's kind of how we met Alex and Sam. And they, they basically came in and we like kind of very simple ideas, uh, with, with, you know, hard, hardcore product execution. So the simple idea or thesis was that, um, you know, the cloud is, is expanding. Everyone is interconnected. And how can we take an outside in and a data-driven approach to understanding the security posture of all the vendors and partners you're connected to? And, you know, as you know, you're only uh, as secure as your least secure partner. And there is no easy way for large enterprises to understand that, that risk posture. Is it perfect? No. But does it shine a flashlight on things where there may be issues and for you to discover problems? It absolutely does. And so we love that kind of idea and thesis. And then Sam and Alex, you know, had built product before and, and they showed that they could execute and, and we're fortunate to have partnered with them in the very beginning. And, you know, now uh, the security ratings market is a, is a whole category unto itself, which is another exciting part. And how about one of my favorites, Hyper, run by my good friend, George Ovetisov. He was actually on the show. He's a former guest of Task Force 7 Radio. He's doing a great job over there. Um, you know, how, how did that all come about? He is absolutely crushing it. And so, uh, George, we met, and here's kind of how interconnected the world is. Uh, Dimitri from Big ID is an advisor to George. And so we met George about a year before we funded him. Uh, Dimitri said, hey, look, I just joined this advisory board. I think passwordless security, decentralized authentication is going to be massive. Meet George uh, and Boyan and Roman. So we spent time with them, and we're just like, man, you know, it's still a little bit early, you know, from the perspective of, of, of going about this, but let's stay in touch. So you know, over about a, a period of a year, every three months we get together, and then all of a sudden he said, hey, look, I've got two massive Fortune 500 customers. You know, my, my product is in production. So for this one was a, was a little bit later, so it wasn't pre-product, but, um, you know, completely new market. You know, we were kind of in that first round, and, you know, that's how we got to meet George was through uh, Dimitri. And Small Step, I don't know too much about them. What's, uh, what's the deal with them? Yeah, so Small Step uh, is started by a guy named Mike Malone. Um, he was chief architect of a lot of web scale companies on the West Coast. And my partner, Elliot Durbin, uh, uh, met Mike through, once again, a mutual friend. And they knew that we had this huge thesis on uh, monolithic architectures moving to microservices. And Mike laid out this vision for um, how to make it very easy for developers to secure their microservices um, uh, in an open source way. He didn't know exactly how he was going to build it, but he had the idea around it. And, uh, you know, fast forward to today, he's actually open sourced it. You can go to Small Step, download some of it. He's got customers using it. Um, and, you know, the cool part is the term zero trust wasn't really around, you know, three years ago when we funded it. And uh, all of a sudden, I feel like he stepped into one of the hottest areas uh, of 2019 with what he's doing. He just didn't know what the term was, you know, three years ago. And one last one I want to ask you about is Dropout Labs. I mean, I don't know why, but I just, for whatever reason, I love the name of this company. I mean, is there, <laughs> there any special, like, significance around the name? 
Yeah, so it's funny. So the founder, uh, Gavin Uma, one of the co-founders, um, we had backed him pre previously in Fund One as well. So you, you kind of see this common thread. There's a lot of kind of interconnections. But he had started a company um, and sold it to Salesforce and had delivered a huge return for us. And we kind of stayed in touch with him. And he had actually uh, dropped out of college a number of times, which is why it's called Dropout Labs. <laughs> so it goes to show that you didn't have to go to college to be successful and, and, and actually create amazing products. Um, so that's kind of how, how we knew him. And he became fascinated, uh, once again, as I said, I like to pick two, two uh, massive trends. He became excited about the whole idea of, of AI and machine learning and, uh, and privacy. And he kept asking himself, how do we actually live in a world where all our data could be default encrypted, but yet we can still have all the same functionality that we do today? And so uh, he started an open source project called openmind.org. Um, it's M-I-N-E-D.org uh, with someone else. And uh, he started uh, toying around with that. And then all of a sudden, this community built up uh, in a pretty big way. And he, he spun out and said, I'm going to actually create a super easy way for data scientists and developers to uh, uh, bring in cryptography into their data and actually run predictions and train their models on encrypted data without exposing, ever exposing that stuff. Um, and so now they have a product, uh, they have a Git repo uh, called TF Encrypted. You can easily invoke it through TensorFlow now uh, and you don't have to know cryptography and you can start getting results uh, and, and have it all be privacy preserving in terms of your data never being exposed or anyone ever knowing what it is. Well, all amazing companies. It's been an amazing conversation. I really appreciate you coming on the show, taking the time to speak with us. I hope to have you back often. Thank you. I'd love to be. And, and I'm, as I said, I'm a huge fan. Uh, I love listening to your show every week. And uh, thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for that. And thanks for your support, man. I really appreciate it. All right, folks. It's time to bounce up out of here. Before I go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.